last Wednesday. I encourage you to get a copy of the CD or listen to it online. Uh, my family and I took a couple days and went away and did a couple things. Gary filled in for me, and Gary shared his testimony. Gary Baird there. Gary, are you in here tonight? Yes, Gary's right there. Uh, Gary did such a great job, I'm going to have him get up and do it again. You want to know? I'm just kidding. Uh, seriously, I encourage you to get that. I love hearing a good testimony, and I love to hear what the Lord has done in people's life. I really encourage you to grab a copy of that. What a neat blessing to see what the Lord has done in Gary and Carrie's life and marriage, etc. So, since I did ask Gary to continue on in Nehemiah, and he completely disobeyed and did not do it, I have to go back now to Nehemiah 7 and pick up Nehemiah chapter 7, where Gary left off. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 7, go ahead and start in verse 6. And look all the way to verse 73. That's riveting. I love these chapters. I absolutely love these chapters. And and I've told you this before. I call these chapters God's refrigerator. Because the Lord wanted to, for all of eternity, to mark down the people that chose to leave Babylon and come to Israel to serve and to work. We look at these names and these names mean nothing to us right now. But to the Lord, they mean everything. This is how fascinating this chapter is. If you want to do a real fun study, compare this chapter to Ezra chapter 2, and you will find out that they are nearly identical. So for all of eternity, God wanted to tell you twice, twice, how often he loves these people. Have you ever seen that? Maybe a first-time mom or dad, or a couple getting married, and they take their engagement photos? First-time parents, and they say, would you like to see pictures? And you're thinking you're going to see like two or three, and it's like two or three hundred, and they're like posed exactly the same, but just elbows have changed, the things are a little bit different. This is what it is. If we look at those pictures and we say, I don't really get a lot out of that. I don't have that emotional attachment to that child, to the marriage, to that wedding, what have you. We look at these names and say, I don't get this emotional attachment out of it, but God taps us on the shoulder and says, yeah, but I do. These people were willing to leave Babylon to come to Israel and to serve me, to worship me. These are missionaries. This is outreach. And he goes, I want these people remembered not only once in Ezra chapter 2, but twice in Nehemiah chapter 7. If you want a further detailed study on what it really does mean, I encourage you to go back online. We just did Ezra before Nehemiah. You can go listen to Ezra chapter 2, and we break down these names, what it looks like and what it means. So with that being said, now let's jump into Nehemiah chapter 8. But really, the last verse there of Nehemiah chapter 7 really helps us here. Look at the second half of Nehemiah 7, verse 73. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. The seventh month, that is October. So it's the time of October. So what we have now here, Nehemiah chapter 8, the walls have been rebuilt. Jerusalem is where it's supposed to be. Zerubbabel had the temple taken care of. Ezra has kind of got the people in spiritual order, if you will. Now in Nehemiah chapter 8, we have, if you will, call it a church service. I love Nehemiah chapter 8 because it gives you a picture of what church looked like back there for them. And the fascinating thing is, it's the same points that we should still be doing today. Like I told you before, Dawn and I have been spending a lot of time in the book of Acts. And as we go through the book of Acts, we just stop and say, Okay, Lord, if this is what you called us to do 2,000 years ago, are we still doing it today? Are we doing it the way you asked us to? Or have we so morphed it into some different idea? Let's look here at Nehemiah chapter 8 and say, Okay, Lord, 
this is what you blessed. And, and let's really just stop and ask ourselves, do we really believe what this paper is telling us and these words are telling us? If so, let's apply it to our lives and let's go out and do it. So here you go, church service from 2,500 years ago. What can we learn from it? Verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 8. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. Stop right there. We're going to go literally verse by verse through this. Please note verse 1. They gathered together as one man. We use the term in the book of Acts, one accord. One vision, one unity, one purpose. One accord, one man. One vision, one unity, one purpose. And you know what that is? To see souls get saved in Jesus Christ. It's never about promoting a pastor, a man, a ministry, or a church. None of that matters. Think about what John the Baptist said. I must decrease. He, meaning Jesus, must increase. The soul, vision, unity, and purpose is to see souls get saved for all of eternity. That's all that matters. Now, once you get that down, everything else is easy. The problem is to get that vision... You've got to die to yourself. Because most of our life is trying to please us. We like to window shop. We like to look at this. Oh, this item would bring me joy. I like this. This makes fun for me. That doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. But when you put all that time and energy in trying to please yourself, you're getting yourself off the one vision, one unity, one purpose. We spend so much time on this earth trying to make ourselves comfortable. Or really, it's all about seeing souls get saved. I mentioned to you before that, you know, we're planning on, my family and I are planning on going up to Dearborn and spend a few days up there. And as we get closer and we get more information, I'll let you guys know. Some of you have asked about coming up and doing some of the outreach as well, and we'd love to have you. But we're trying to find a place that, that all seven of us can stay at. So I got online and I started with the cheapest hotels in Dearborn. Found one for 50 bucks a night. It's not a bad deal if you don't mind cockroaches bed bugs and prostitution that's what it says right there and i'm not making that up that's what all the reviews said okay so i went up to the next one next one had bed bugs and armed security armed security so and i'm thinking okay we're not going to be able to find this here so i'm telling the boys boys you need to pray because we need to find a place to stay i contacted a couple calvary pastors up there and i said hey can we come crash on your on your uh, one of your classrooms and I said, I know what would happen if someone contacted me and asked me that. So I said, here's my number. Here's the church website. I'm the real deal. I'm not some person trying to come in and steal your stuff. But the boys, I was telling them this. And one of the boys said, well, Dad, aren't we going to try to get a hotel with a pool? <laughs> Wait, hold on a second here. Well, aren't we going to try to get this? I think you're misunderstanding this, guys. This is a little mini missions trip. This is not about being comfortable. It's not about us. But it's amazing how even at such a young age, it becomes this idea of what makes me comfortable, what makes me feel good. It's not about that. If that's how you try to live your life, you're always going to be walking in this type of discontentment. Because God is going to be asking you to die to yourself, and you're going to say, no, I really want to live for myself. What do you see here? One man, one vision, one unity, one purpose. See, souls get saved in Jesus Christ. Where do they meet? Verse 1, in front of the water gate. I think the water gate is kind of interesting. Uh, when I think of the word water, I think of Ephesians 5, where it says we are washed by the water of the word. Ephesians 5, washed by the water of the word. What they're going to do here in Nehemiah chapter 8 is be washed by the water of the word. That's what they're going to do here in this chapter. Verse 2. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding in the first day of the seventh month. So they get everybody together. 
And what are they going to do? They're going to preach to them. Everybody that could have understanding. You see a focus on God's word. The longer I walk with the Lord, the the more I realize the importance of just stick with the Bible. I'm not not against topicals. I'm not against series. I don't want to pick on that. I'm not. But the more I say the Bible, it's like, why would I not want to just keep presenting chapter by chapter, verse by verse, precept upon precept, what God's word has to say? And so what I see here in verse 2, we're going to get the law and we're going to read it to you. And who are they going to read it to? The people that have understanding. That word understanding, if you're a note taker, please note, understanding is used in verse 2, 3, 7, 8, 9, 12, and 13. Seven different times in one chapter. What do you think the point is? God wants you to understand it. He is not asking you just to show up tonight. He's not asking you just to fill a seat for an hour. He is asking you to come with the understanding that he is literally going to speak to you. Are we willing to listen? Can you go with me, please, to Matthew chapter 13? Matthew 13. I remember hearing a great teaching about studying the Bible by John Corson one time, where he said, when you get ready to sit down and study the Bible, he goes, be prepared to listen. Come with paper, come with pen, come with your Bible. Come because you are expecting God to speak. Now, I'm not picking on anybody on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night, but but if you come and and there's nothing in your hands, and the Lord has something to tell you, maybe you have a better memory than me, but you're probably not going to remember that as you walk out the door. There is something about taking your Bible and marking that verse, underlining it. There's something about writing a note down. You know, when the kings became king in Israel, one of the requirements was they had to write out their own copy of the law by hand. And that's something I am a fan of, a fan of. There's this something called the uh, 1718 series. Um, Somebody got it for me for Christmas a couple years ago where it's a blank notebook. And I know when you hear this, it doesn't sound really interesting, but it's literally a blank notebook. Book of Proverbs is what he got me. And it has the chapters and the verses. And as you read through Proverbs, you literally write out the book of Proverbs as you're doing it. And so what I do is I go through Proverbs. If I come across a verse I really like, yeah, I mark it in my Bible, but I actually go literally write it out. Dawn for Father's Day got me the same thing, but for Psalm 119. And so when I'm doing my devotions, I go through Psalm 119 and I write out those verses. There is something powerful about taking a passage or a verse that the Lord really spoke to you on and writing it out, marking it, and underlining it. We need to have understanding. How often do we come to a church service or hear a message, read a devotional, we walk out the door, and we say, Hey, what was it about? I don't know. I I really don't know. Do we have understanding? Use seven different times. Now, what you have here in Matthew chapter 13 is the very famous parable of the sower and the seed. And I think this is the most important parable of any of the parables that Jesus ever spoke. The parable of the sower and seed explains everything. Every person you meet and share the gospel with falls into one of these categories. Every single person. You here tonight are one of these people. 
Look at this. First group that you see, verse 3, Behold, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they weathered away. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Others fell on a good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the beautiful thing about this is let the Bible explain the Bible. Commentary on the parable of the sower of the seed starts in verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away which was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. Every person you share the gospel with, if they choose to reject Christ right then and there, they are the first seed. Just snatches away. They don't even care. They don't understand it. They don't get it. They don't want to understand it. If you are here tonight and you are hearing the gospel presented to you, you're hearing the truth presented to you, and you don't care and you don't want it, you're at verse 19. Verse 20. He who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. This is the person that comes and hears and says, this is the most amazing thing ever. I cannot, I love this. When do you have church on Sunday? Two services, 830. I'm going to be at both of them. Then they don't show up Sunday. Then they don't show up Wednesday. They spring up quickly and just as quickly disappear. I remember it was probably about 10, 15 years ago, there was somebody that came out and visited the church. And the first Sunday they visited, they just, I mean, just loved it. Loved it. They thought, I mean, I really liked this person. They thought I was the funniest person. They had never heard teaching like this before. This is the church for them. Where do I serve? I want to get involved. Fill in the blank. Check, 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 check. They have never come back yet. Fifteen years later, I'm still waiting for them to come back. Now, and this doesn't even just a one Sunday thing. This can also be a couple weeks, a couple months. I have seen people come and get excited. I've seen people do discipleship class. I've seen people come, get excited, get baptized, and then they just disappear. Why? Because there's no root. Verse 21. This is emotional. This is, uh, this is what I was looking for. This gives me a purpose in life. I feel good about myself. I was in a really dark spot. And, but there's no root. They, they are appreciative of everything. They like to feel loved. They like to be enjoyed. They, they, but there's no root. I hope that's not you guys. But i got to be honest, after doing ministry for about 20 years now, when somebody comes and they're excited, it's like, okay, let, let's give you a few weeks here. Let's give you a few months here. Well, yeah, we're going to keep planting you. We're going to keep encouraging you. But time will reveal. Time will reveal. What makes them fall away? Verse 21, tribulation, persecution, stumbles. They stumble. Verse 22, now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. This is somebody who hears it, and you think, I think they planted. I think they're planted in the Lord. But guess what happens? The world. Just busy. Just getting busy. Oh, there's extra overtime at work. Oh, there's all these activities with the kids. All of a sudden, you see this looks like a relationship with Christ, and it gets, as it says in verse 22, choked out. I tell you, verse 22, those people are difficult. And I don't mean they're difficult to be around. No, I don't mean that. They're difficult because they say the right things. They seem to act the right way. These may be good, moral people. And pastor, you will see me again. Don't worry about that. 
Hey, once everything slows down, I'm going to get involved again. Hey, I heard you're doing another discipleship coming up. Hey, once things get settled down here a little bit, I'd love to sign up for that. There's always these great intentions. There's this great heart, this great motive. But what happens in verse 22, they get choked out. And it's sad to see happen. Verse 23, he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. The last group of the people, they get it. They get it, and they get it, and they produce fruit. But please, here's our tie-in word. Verse 23, he who receives seed on the good ground and he who hears the word, and there's our word, understands it. That's our tie-in back now to what we're talking about in Nehemiah chapter 8 understanding it. See, you can sit here and like it. You can sit here and mark verses. You can sit here and say, I love it. But do we get it? Do we understand it? Are we saying, I want this to be a part of my life? Now, I am not trying to say that God is a statistician, but please just follow the statistics of this. According to this, about 25% actually get it. About 25%. You know what? That seems pretty realistic. When I get a chance to go out and talk to people, about one out of four seem interested. If you look across the world today, it seems like about 25% of the world may be really walking with the Lord. And of that 25%, take a look at verse 23. Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Now when you get to that 25% saved, there's about one-third that really say, Lord, I want everything you got. I want a 100-fold return. I don't know where you guys are at. I tell you, I sure hope you're in verse 23. The good ground, that got it, and you understand it. But I hope you're not content staying at 30, and I hope you're not content staying at 60. I hope you want the hundredfold return. See, what I notice with this a lot is I see a lot of believers that love the Lord, they're saved, they're in eternity, and now let's just ride this out until Jesus returns and Torah die. That's not the point. The point is to say, Lord, I want to constantly grow and go deeper in you, less of me and more of you. I want to go out there and live it. I want to go out there and truly get it and understand it. And that's what that word is, to truly understand it. Back in Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra's just not reading it to read it. He's saying, I want you guys to get this and change how you live and act and everything about it. Do you realize how many people, and we'll just, we'll just pick on us. Because I don't want to pick on other people, I'll pick on us. How many people come through our doors on a Sunday or Wednesday and are just content to fill a seat? They're content to hear. But they're not wanting to understand it. They're not wanting to grow and go deeper. I, I hope that's not the case for you guys. I hope that's not the case for me. We want to understand it and we want to grow. Please jump back now to Nehemiah chapter 8. So we have them, anybody who has understanding... So they bring them, all who could hear with understanding. I also believe this passage talks about how we're supposed to teach on different levels. Right now, we're meeting in here. There is, I don't even know how many classrooms there's going on. There's a nursery going on. There's a preschool going on. There's numerous classrooms and CBC going on. We're teaching kids on their level, trying to help them understand the gospel. Next week, we're going to spend five days teaching them on their level to teach them about the Lord. We want them to have an understanding of it as well. What happens next? Verse 3. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. Please note how long church went. Morning until midday. Morning until midday. Okay. Don't get mad at me, okay? Your, your devotional time is not supposed to be 10 to 15 minutes a day. 
You have 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. I am not saying this to be legalistic. I'm not saying this to whip you guys. I don't mean that in any way whatsoever. Please know my heart. There is so much more we could do of being in prayer, being in the Word. You have all the time you want to go as deep as you want in Jesus Christ. You really do. I really do. Do I want to use that time for Him? Or do I want to use that time just to fulfill me? They spent hours, hours doing it. Verse 3, morning until midday before the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. I used to feel this burden, this pressure that the messages had to be funny and exciting and whatever. I can't carry that burden or pressure. I can't. I remember distinctly there was a season where there was a guy that sat over here to my left, right near the front, and he would stare out that window for the entire Sunday service. Not look at his Bible, not make eye contact, just stare out the window. And it became this burden of mine. I, I, I need to see him laugh. I need to see him get something out of it. And so you carry this pressure of, okay, I hope this is exciting. And what happens is what we need to do as a church, we need to do something to keep it exciting. Listen, the church can never out-entertain the world. The world will always have more entertainment options. What we just need to do as a church and as the body of Christ is simply teach the Word of God simply. And I remember hearing that as a young believer, and I believe it was Chuck Smith that first said it. You just simply teach the Word of God simply. What was exciting about the book of the law in verse 3? Have you read Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy? I, that would be difficult to be attentive to that. That's what they read, was Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. But it's God's word, and therefore it's powerful. Just present God's word, and he takes care of the rest. So verse 4, Ezra's standing up on this platform. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Because there was this respect for God's word. And as they stood up, verse 6, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see worship being part of the service. I think it's vital that we have this time of worship. And, and you, you've heard me make these little catchphrases about worship before. And please don't think I'm doing it quickly, but you've heard me say this before. Number one, don't worship the worship. God is the one being glorified. We have a tendency to sometimes worship the worship. The way the song is played, you know, the way the style of it or whatever. Listen, even if it's not played in the best way, it's still worship because God is amazing. Remember, worship is supposed to be about Christ and Christ alone and, and who the Lord is. So even when you come in on the worst of all days, you still worship him. You're not worshiping God because he gave you a good day. You're worshiping God because he is God. And number three, please remember with worship, quit being a music critic. We have a tendency to do that with worship. Well, I don't really like the way that style was. We all, and we do. We have a tendency to do that. That's not the way they play it on the radio. You're right. Those were paid people that took 50 takes to do that. You know, that's not the way they teach. I've heard that before, too. Well, you know, I heard so-and-so on the radio, and he teaches really good. I have heard him, too. He's out in California. I will buy you a plane ticket. Please go. Join his church. What it is, is what it is. We are here to serve the Lord and love the Lord, and that's what it comes down to. And what you see here in verse 6 is worship is vital. 
It is vital. It's important. Don't worship worship. Don't be a music critic. And realize also stop that God is God and he deserves the worship that he gets. Take a look at verse 7. Look at the different names here. Jeshua, Benia, Sharabia, etc. They helped the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book and the law of God and they gave sense and helped them to understand the reading. This is a group effort. Group effort. Part of the reason why I like to have other people fill in for me every now and then is the best way to learn how to teach is to teach. You, you know, if somebody feels they're called to teach, well, then the best thing to do is to let them lead a Bible study and see if it's fruitful. That's one of the things I always loved about Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel used to say this, hey, do you want to know if you're called to start a church? Start a Bible study and see if anybody comes. If you want to know if you're called to teach, get up and teach. Does anybody get anything out of it? It's a calling, it's a gift. You either have it or you don't. And I like here that you see a group of people, and they help the people to understand the law. It's difficult. You need help. Verse 8, and they read distinctly from the book of the law of God, and they gave sense and helped them to understand the reading. My favorite text, emails, phone calls to get are, Hey, James, I was reading this in the Bible the other day, and I didn't know exactly what it meant. Oh, I love those. Love those. Because it shows a heart that wants to grow and go deeper. And I love talking about the Bible. A couple things I would encourage you with, though, before you call me. And I do love it when you call. Number one, I would say this. I would say this. Number one, give it to the Lord first. He wrote it. Let you and the Holy Spirit chew on it for a while. I think that's really important. Look at some other verses. Look at some other stuff. Do some studying into it because to teach you. Number two, I would say this. Ladies, if you are married, ask your husband first. It says that, you know, the Bible there, it says in Corinthians about the women asking their husband. It's a great way to start a spiritual conversation with your husband. Well, my husband, he would never know. Still ask him. You're not trying to embarrass him. You're trying to start a conversation with him. And wouldn't it be cool if you two sat down and said, hey, let's figure this out together. So, just wanted to encourage you with that. So, what you see right here is they're reading from the law. They're helping give understanding. You just envision these thousands of people. And you envision these guys in verse 7 breaking out into small groups. And saying, hey, okay, everybody, every circle up here. Okay, who's struggling with Exodus about if your gore kills another man? I can help explain that to you real quick. We're breaking it down. We're understanding it in verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. See, when you hear God's word, it's going to cut. Remember Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It's going to cut. The purpose of the teaching and the preaching is not to make you feel good. The purpose of the teaching and preaching is to present God's truth so that way when you leave, you say, hopefully I've been challenged to grow, to go deeper. This is not supposed to be what I call spiritual cotton candy. This is supposed to be grow, go, do something with this information, and then go say, I want to be a difference maker for Christ for all of eternity. Now, we're going to stop right there because we've been making a lot of points here. And it's going to change a little bit here in verse 10 on. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about anything so far? Ryan. A very similar thing happened in uh, 2 Kings chapter 22 when uh, Josiah found the uh, law and the, the Bible in the temple that had been uh, in the same spiritual apostasy for many years under different kings. And they got out the, the word, they read it to yep. all the congregation. They sort of rededicated themselves to the world. This happened about 200 years before uh, Nehemiah right here. But it's basically the same sort of thing. 
it, it is amazing when you just get out God's word and you just do it. I mean, I, I grew up in a church and I grew up what I would even call a Bible teaching church. Um, and they did a, a very nice job. But when I first started coming out here to, to harvest and I heard Jim teaching literally verse by verse, I, I thought, wow, there is so much more that I did not even see and understand. Just understanding and going through these verses and breaking it down and really getting it, I, I just absolutely love it. And when you see God's word presented that way, like he's saying, either saying it through reforms of Josiah or even right here, God's word is powerful. Just keep presenting it. It's powerful. Anybody else got anything? Marcus. Right. And it's not like they had public address and, and speaking and, and getting everybody to hear with communication just has to be a, a massive undertaking. This is a big deal. And, and I like this. And what Marcus was saying, this is a, the, the actual administration of this. If you look, there was some planning into it. Verse 4, he's standing on a platform of wood. You know, verse 7, he's got other people to help go understand it. You see a little bit of the breakdown. Where was that? Um, verse 9, you, you got the governor, you got the priests, you got the scribes, you got the Levites. There is a plan here. I am totally in favor of being spirit-led. I think that is so vital. You know, when I come up to teach, this is what I do. I, I, I take notes two different times. Here's the first notes I took on the message. First thing I did is I just read through it and just I want to understand it. So I read through it and I don't write anything down. Next time I go through it, I take my initial notes. I think this is important. And then I go through it a third time and I start having notes right here. Now these notes for me are just notes to remind me. Here's a passage that would be good to go to. Here's a reference. But when we get up here, it's like I really want the Spirit to lead. And I think it's important that we see here that they do have an organization, but at the same time, there is that flexibility of letting the Lord lead. And I think that's so vital to have both. Be planned, be organized, but at the same time, be spirit-led. I else have anything before we move on. Okay, what happens now? Verse 10. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. Can you guys please go with me to uh, James chapter 1? James chapter 1. They hear the law. They have a time of worship, there's a time of fellowship, and then in verse 10, go. Go. Go take things to people that weren't here. Did you catch that? Take them food. Go tell them about what happened. See, here's the thing. We can sit here and be fed and blessed and encouraged, but you're supposed to go. Be lights and witnesses where you live, where you work, at school, whatever it is. Every interaction you have is a ministry opportunity. And I think so often what happens in church is we hear, we say, hey, that was great. And we come back next week and we turn church into this little country club. Oh, let's just make ourselves feel good and make ourselves comfortable. No, we're here to encourage you, to equip you, to challenge you, and then say, go do something about it. Take a look here at James chapter 1, start in verse 22. James 1.22 But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Hear it, then do something about it. We've all seen Christians that are amazing hearers of the word. 
They can quote the verse. They've marked up their Bible. They've got Bible verses all over the place. But we want to be hearers and doers of the word. There's a reason why the Great Commission was, Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The idea of going out and do something. Jesus did not say, Stay. He sent them out. Dawn was reading something, and I'm going to mess up the quote, but she sent it to me, where basically, if you feel led to stay, there better be a pretty good reason why you're staying and not going when Jesus said go. Now, that doesn't mean that you're all called to go to some foreign country. Your mission field is your neighbors, it's your house, it's where you live, it's where you work, it's your interactions at the grocery store. But we're supposed to go with this mindset and have purposeful conversations that we are prayed up and ready for and to say, Lord, I really want to go represent you Then all that I do and all that I say. And that's how they ended their little church service in Nehemiah 8. Go. Now, before we move on here, I do need to talk about verse 10. Look at the end of verse 10. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That passage is powerful. Don't, don't skip over that verse. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I will tell you my testimony, and then I'll tell you how I've taken that and shared that. A few years ago, I was kind of down in the dumps about something. And I was just really discouraged, dare I say, even borderline depressed about this. And it was just affecting me, affecting everything. And it was like talking to Betsy, Betsy Betts. And I said, Betsy, and I just kind of opened up to her about what I was kind of struggling with. And I remember Betsy saying, Jamie, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And she goes, if you do not have joy in what you're doing, you will not have strength in any way whatsoever. And that really hit me because I had no strength and I couldn't figure out why because I had no joy. I have taken that point that Betsy has said, and I use that in counseling all the time. When somebody calls me up and the only thing they want to do is whine and complain and this is wrong, whatever, I always ask them, how's your joy? Joy? Oh, I'm not, I haven't had joy in a long time. I'm not joyful. Well, according to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you do not have joy in the Lord, you cannot have strength in life. I'm willing to bet the people that you know that are really weak in life, weak spiritually, they probably don't have a lot of joy. Fruit of the Spirit is joy. There's a joy in knowing who Jesus Christ is. And you've heard me use this point before. Forgive me for the repetition. The difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is temporary. Your birthday is happy. Christmas is happy. It lasts for a moment. It's very happy. Joy lasts always. One of my boys describes joy as eternal happiness. I really like that. Joy is based not on the situation, but on Jesus. Joy is not based on what I get or what I'm getting. It's based on how good God is. So if you're going through a tough time right now and you do not have that joy, according to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, you're not going to have strength. So your joy has to be based in the Lord and the Lord alone, and that's where you get strength. So if you're feeling pretty spiritually weak right now, I ask you, how's your joy? If the joy's not there... You're not going to have the strength because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, next, let's move on here. We're going to finish this up real quick in about the next five minutes here. Verse 13. Now, on the second day, that was only day one, folks. On the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra, the scribe, in order to understand the words of the law. Round two. There's so much. Verse 14, and they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. This is what we call the Feast of Tabernacles. What a fascinating feast. This happens in the seventh month in October. And what happens is this, some of it's called a Sukkoth, S-U-C-C-O-T-H, is what you would do is you would go out and gather branches and you make yourself a little tent. 
And you make yourself a little tent and you go camp out to remind you of what the Lord did for the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt and how God provided food for them and water for them and manna for them. So, verse uh, 15, And that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountains and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one on their own roof of his house, or in their courtyards, or in his court of his house of God, in the open square of the water gate, and the open square of the gate of Ephraim. You'd walk through Jerusalem at this time, and there'd be these little trees all over the place, little tents. Verse 17, So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths, for since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day the children of Israel had not done so. That would be roughly a thousand years. A thousand years. And there was very great gladness. Don't ever skip over little phrases like that. You want gladness and joy in your life? Simply do the word of God. These are grown men making tents out of trees and camping outside. And they're happy about it. Why? Because they're doing the Word of God. Because they're doing what God told them to do. Because it reminds them of God's provision. So the way this is supposed to work is the dad says, Come on, boys. We're going up to the hills. Why? We're going to cut down some trees. Why are we doing it? Well, let's walk and talk about this, boys. So as they're walking to grab the trees, they're saying, You know what? A thousand years ago, God brought us out of slavery in Egypt, and for 40 years we wandered in the wilderness. But every morning, he provided something called manna. He provided water. And the boys would say, he did what? And they would talk about it. They would come back, and they would build this booth, this structure, talking about the God, what he has done. And then they would sleep in it. I know my boys would go crazy for this. And there would be an opportunity to say, look at what the Lord has done and is doing. See, this is what it looks like to just live it. I I think sometimes we look at what does it mean to really live the life. God tells us what it looks like. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, hey, how about you do this? When you're walking along the road, talk about me. When you sit down to eat, talk about me. When you're getting ready to go to bed, talk about me. When you get up in the morning, talk about me. That's how simple it is. So that's what we try to do. We read a verse before we eat supper. We talk about what the Lord has done. We do devotions in the morning. We try to have a time of prayer. We just try to literally do it. And I'm just saying to you guys, so often we look at what does it really mean to be that hundredfold return Christian that we read about in Matthew 13. What would happen if we just did what the Bible says? It would be amazing. Verse 18. Also day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of law of God and kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. He just keeps reading the book of the law. He keeps reading Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And the people are blessed. They're blessed because they're making tents out of tree branches. They're blessed because they're going to people that don't have food and they're delivering it to them and saying, let me tell you what we just did. They're weeping and crying because their hearts have been so touched by the reading of God's word. This is all they're supposed to be doing. And and look what happens here. I'm just going to pick this up real quick. Go jump into chapter 9. Now on the 24th day of the month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of Israel lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. They, They confessed. 
this is what I'm struggling with. This is what this is. Could you pray for me? Could you help me? Verse three. They stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confess and worship the Lord their God. You remember how he said what would happen if we just took the Bible and did it? Well, we're not going to do verse three. Okay, we're not going to do that because one fourth of the day. Well, that's easier back then because their society was a different type of society. We can make all type of excuses, and I get it. And I'm not trying to be legalistic here. It's not one-fourth of the day. I'm saying you look at this heart, though, in verse 3. They weren't worrying about their free time. They weren't worrying about, oh, I really wanted to do this this evening. They said, we really need to get in shape spiritually. I really need to be where the Lord's called me to be. I'm going to go confess for a fourth of the day. I'm going to hear God's word being taught for a fourth of the day. And that's what we're going to do. To be where we're supposed to be. I, like I said, and I hope you guys aren't offended by this. And if you're offended, I hope you come up to me and try to talk to me afterwards to really understand my heart. But our, our time with the Lord is not supposed to be just this little 10-minute, 15-minute thing a day. That's not what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to have a constant mindset of Him. Think about how the Lord described prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Never stop praying. Constantly praying. You're just constantly looking at people and saying, you know, Lord, I just give them to you. When somebody comes to your mind, give it to you. Carry a Bible around with you. You got time at lunch, sit down, read it, go through it, listen to messages, etc. To say, Lord, I, I don't have to do this. This is not a legalistic thing. But I have the opportunity to have so much time in my day to grow in you and to go deeper in you. Why would I not want to do this? And this is what you see them doing here in Nehemiah chapter 8. And what an amazing example it is for us. And something that we could really stop and say, Lord, what does it look like for us today? Anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything before we close up? Hey, can you guys stand with me? It's really easy to hear it, to understand it, but not do anything about it. Let's take these words that we learned tonight and, and really apply it. The words that are really coming to my mind right now are understanding it and then doing. Lord, we come to you now. We hear what you wrote tonight. Lord, we want to understand it, to understand what it means for us personally to go out and live it, Lord, for whatever example that is. And Lord, we want to go do it, not just in our flesh, but a spirit-led direction of what it actually looks like to live the life. Help us to do it, not just in word, but in action. Help us to live it, Lord, not just in words, but in action. Thank you for being a God of grace, mercy, and love. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming out, spending the evening. Don't forget Sunday, uh, prayer time, 7 o'clock out here at church. You guys have a good evening and God bless.